portion. So we started a series last week, taking it from Deuteronomy and entitling it uh, a family vision or a generational vision, a long-term view towards godliness in our families, in the church of Jesus Christ, and in our country. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, again, we'll be focusing on this text for some weeks. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Let us pray. Fathers, we come before you on this week, the week that is set aside to mourn the murder of unborn children. Father, we come to grieve over those lost lives. And Lord, to pray, to continue to pray for the end of this dehumanizing evil practice in America and in the world. And Father, I pray that You would encourage us as those that have been called out of darkness into light to teach our children the things the Word says about the preciousness of life, the evil of murder, and the greatness of Christ to redeem murderers and to make us clean and holy and righteous. So Lord, bless us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we started this series talking about how I'm using Deuteronomy because this is the place where a whole new generation had arisen. And Moses was teaching them and encouraging the parents and laying down this rule of generational godliness and generational teaching for the families so that they would not go into the land and become like the wicked that were living there. And this week as we talk about the march of life and and being pro-life, this fits right in with our family vision because the way we put an end to abortion is one family at a time one community at a time, one county at a time, one state at a time. And we overcome this generational evil with generational godliness. And so that's why we need a long-term vision for our families and for America. And so that the hearts of our children would be won by the love of Christ And the blindness which is over the eyes of the nation will be removed that they might see abortion for what it is. The intentional killing of unborn children. We must be truth tellers and use words. It's hard to do an age appropriate sermon when you're talking about this. But I'm going to do my best. 
Abortion is not the right of a woman to choose her reproductive freedom. It is not the litmus, litmus test for nominating judges or politicians. It is child murder, child sacrifice, and a direct attack on God Himself as they deface His image and image bearers. On January the 22nd, if I'm not mistaken, that's going to be the 50th year since the Roe v. Wade decision, which was overturned this past year. And I would say, being down there, downtown at the March for Life, um, because of that decision, it looks like we've let up a little bit because it was pretty sparse, the showing this week. The last time I was there, before uh, COVID, that whole plaza was filled. And there wasn't even anybody standing in the grass this time. So the, the battle is not over. And as I learned this week, uh, even here in Georgia, the traffic has not diminished at the abortion clinics. And so you see, even those who are the political leaders who are passing these heartbeat bills, for many of them, I would say, it's probably just a political ploy. And I'm not sure they got the backbone to enforce it. And they're not enforcing it in Georgia, according to what I heard this week. And so there was still work to be done for the innocent, for the unborn, for the weakest of our society. There's still work to be done. As of today, as I understand it, again, 2,500 child sacrifices take place daily in the United States. I think it's about 105 a day in Georgia. Virtually all of them have a beating heart. And the victims weigh less than one ounce. Some statistical models indicate 54 million a year take place globally. I'm looking at another site. Uh, it, they said this. Abortion is mercilessly violent. Children with brain waves and a nervous system that allows them to feel pain are literally torn to pieces. 93% of all abortions in the United States are performed on healthy mothers. Less than 1% are performed because of rape or incest. The number of children killed by abortion every year dwarfs the homicidal horrors of history. Like Hitler and Stalin. Unborn girls are killed at a higher rate than unborn boys. Estimates are as high as 163 million girls intentionally since the 1970s just because they were girls. How's that for... Uh, the, where is the 
women standing up for the rights of little women. And so, as we speak of this very painful issue, the point is that truthful tongues save lives. We must be truth-tellers about this. This legalized horror is tolerated because of deceptive words and mass deception. If you take a look at at Germany, there's an entire state, a nation in Germany that was deceived. And this, this is a spiritual deception. Spiritual powers are involved here. So that that entire nation was able to rationalize the murder of Jews. And afterwards, I think the German people woke up to the horrors of what had happened and how they had been deceived. And and you know, when something happens like that in history, you think, well, that could never happen again, right? And yet it has on a scale 60 times worse. And so truthful words are required to clear the fog with clarity. And this is a generational evil because 50 years is more than one generation. And so now the next generation, this has been ingrained in them in our society. And so as we talk about a vision for your family, of course this is not our generational vision. We're talking about our generational vision that we establish and that you believe in. And by the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can increase this vision more and more. And we will do it in the generations to come. And my prayer for you all as I pray for the families of this church is that for a thousand generations, there are going to be believers in your genealogy. Or until Christ comes again. Hopefully he comes first, if not a thousand generations of believers growing up and teaching about Jesus Christ, who is the grand vision. He is the grand vision for all of us. So the main point today I would have in this message as we just look at a few verses and about the, the truth of this is that you will preserve the preciousness of life and love in the next generation when you teach your children the truths about child sacrifice and God's Word. Because this is nothing new. And so what are some of those truths that we need to teach our children in our rising up, walking by the way, and laying down? Well, the first thing that we've got to teach is that life is precious. The preciousness of life. What does it mean to be alive? Warm-bodied, to have a beating heart, to be able to live the good life. It's more than that. It's more than just the time between birth and death. Most of the world, much of the world today, is under the delusion that life is only biology. 
But life does not end when the body dies. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Life is precious because it comes from the life giver. Genesis 2 and 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And the psalm that was just read in verse 9, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we shall see light. He is the fountain of life. Jesus Christ is the fountain of life. The upholder of life. The sustainer of life. Life is precious. Life lasts forever. Life is to be cherished. This breath of life that you have right now, every breath you take, as you breathe deep, breathe deep, this life, precious life that God has given you. It is the breath of heaven. This is the breath that even begins in the mother's womb. Now we know over there in Luke, speaking of the birth of Christ and the birth of John the Baptist, it says whenever Mary walked into the room with Elizabeth after she was expecting, it says about John the Baptist that the baby leapt in the mother's womb for joy because Messiah was in the room. The source of life of that baby was in the room. And so Scripture speaks of babies as alive and being life. God breathes that life into us. God made this life. This is the Genesis story. In Genesis 1 and 24, and God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. And it says uh, in verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And so this life is the image bearing that we have being made like God with the ability to think, reason, and to feel, and to act. And what did God say after He made them? He said after He made living fish and living animals and plants and animals, He said it was good every time. And then after He made man, what did He say? It's very good. Its life is precious. And you above all creatures. God, do you know that God is still creating today? Do you know the one being that God is still creating to this day are human beings. Every baby that is knit in that mother's womb is a new creation, a new soul. It's precious. It is to be 
respected. We read that in that Psalms 139 that I alluded to. I will praise Thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are Thy works, and that my soul knows right well. And then later in that same Psalm, speaking of this act of God in creating this precious life in the mother, says, My substance was not hid from You when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. God is the artist, the designer, the engineer, and the architect. And this picture that we see in this psalm, which these words... I'm sure when the translators were trying to get that right, I'm sure that was a big challenge. How do we express this marvelous thing that is going on here? And I've said this before, an illustration I read. I have to tell you again, it's saying that as an artist, when they are painting, like any of the great masters, the artists were painting. When it got down to the fine details, rather than using a brush, they would use a needle. And this curiously wrought is that God is in the details. And every fine, wonderful, marvelous aspect of who you are as a living creature, God painted as with a needle. We also have these expressions that God forms us like a potter forms a clay vessel. And Isaiah 43, 7, Even everyone that is called by My name, for I have created him for My glory. Every spark of life that comes from God as He creates this life, these precious babies in the womb, He forms them for His glory. So that when we see each other, we say, wonder and marvel at this God who can make Fingers and ears and eyes and noses and we can smell wonderful things and hear beautiful music and taste wonderful foods. There in Isaiah he says, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. He formed us, he made us. In Ephesians 2.10 it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship, believer. Again in Isaiah, he says, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of Your hand. And that is why it tells us in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Because these bodies have life, they are also meant to be places of worship. This is where the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in the believer. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, what? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, 
which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? These are temples, sacred places where worship takes place. That's when Christ met the woman at the well. And she said, I know y'all say we've got to go to Jerusalem. He said, no woman, the time is here now when you're going to worship God in spirit and truth wherever you are. And these bodies, by Christ's resurrection, will be made new one day and cleansed and perfect. In Philippians 3.21, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is even able to subdue all things to Himself. Life is precious. The body is precious. But life goes on even after. And we read of that in the story where it says the rich man died and lifting up his eyes in torment. Immediately upon death, he went to his place. And Lazarus died. And immediately, he is in heaven. And Jesus told the thief on the cross, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Life continues. Life is precious. Life is to be preserved, respected. It's to be dedicated to the life giver. And because life is precious, that is why we are commanded not to kill. In Deuteronomy 6, where we have this admonition to teach these commandments in chapter 5, he has rehearsed the Ten Commandments to them. He said, these are the commandments. This is the moral law that you are to teach. This moral law is what is imprinted on every conscience of every human being. That is why in Romans 1, God says, you are without excuse. There is not a human being that's a real atheist because God says, I've revealed myself to you. You're without excuse. And so we are to preserve life. So the first point was life is precious. The second point is we are to preserve life. Thou shalt not kill. Killing is the opposite of God's command to be fruitful and multiply. Because God is life and love and overflowing, and a word we used yesterday, effervescent, bubbling out. God had children, and He made us. He was fruitful and multiplied out of Trinitarian family. And we are to follow that model, be fruitful and multiply. Killing is the opposite of multiplying. It's eliminating. In Genesis 9-1, we can see how this killing is the striking out at God. And so chapter 9 of Genesis is after the flood. They've come out of the ark. And it says in Genesis 9-1, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moves upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But, 
but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. Life is precious. And at the hand of every beast will I require it. There was a law in Leviticus that if an an animal kills somebody, the animal was put to death. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother. And it says, his blood cried out from the earth. And he goes on there and says in verse 6, Whoso sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. You live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Whoever sheds man's blood, baby's blood, by man's shall his blood be shed. And then he gives the reason. For in the image of God made he man. And then he repeats, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. So again, to strike out and to deface God's image, like defacing a famous painting or taking a statue, a sculpture, valuable million dollar sculpture by a famous sculptor and taking a sledgehammer to it and crushing it. We would be considered a terrible thing to do. So also is abortion and crushing the image of God. In context in Deuteronomy, though, we've got a couple of things that we have to answer. In the face of thou shalt not kill. God had just commanded Israel to go in there. And it says in Deuteronomy 2.34, And we took all of his cities at that time and utterly destroyed the men, the women, and the little ones in every city, and none was left to remain. How do we answer that? How do we answer that? The fact that God has just killed all of humanity and then He's telling Noah not to kill. Well, we have the answer to that in the Scriptures. First of all, we must establish from Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2.6, the Lord kills and makes alive. He is the one that creates life, and He's the only one who has the right to take it. And God Himself has established the magistrate to enforce, Thou shalt not kill. And God established Israel going into the land of Canaan to be that magistrate and to destroy all of those who were committing child sacrifice. That's what they were doing in the land. In Romans 13.4, we went over that in the last few months where it says that the magistrate, the government, is the minister of God to you for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain. 
the judges and the magistrate to enforce the moral law, thou shalt not kill. For this minister of God is a revenger to execute wrath upon him that does evil. So the judge, when a murderer comes before a judge, based on what the Scriptures teach and the way God has ordained it, if that judge does not put that murderer to death, that judge is guilty of murder. And if you lower the sentence of murder and give somebody 20 years, you have devalued the preciousness of life and made it equal to 20 years. That is not equal. And so those judges in 73 and Roe v. Wade are guilty of over 60 million murders. Any politician, even the ones who for political ploy will sign a heartbeat law and not enforce it, are in positions where their responsibility is to enforce the moral law. Thou shalt not kill. Life is precious. Israel was appointed God's judge to go into the land and to execute the moral law against generations and generations and generations of evil. And so we must teach the preciousness of life. We must preserve life through God's moral law and the courts and righteous judgment. Now I have to show you that child murder next is not And we must tell the truth about the history of this. It's been around a long time. Why does this arise in a society? Why is humanity so depraved that this always creeps up? How is it that God can allow the sun to come up another day on a planet that is committing such a crime? Well, the only explanation we have is again back to the psalm that was just read where it talked about evil and the wicked and the next verse says God is merciful and kind and long-suffering. It's the only explanation we have. As He's given space another day for people to repent of this evil. And so to take a look at where this comes from, back to these first five books in the Bible... You see child sacrifice already has arisen in the human family. And you have Genesis, Exodus, you've got Numbers, you've got Leviticus, and you've got Deuteronomy. So Leviticus is the law that was given, the ceremonial law, the governmental law, so to speak, and the moral law was all given. To Moses. And in Leviticus chapter 18, he is expanding and giving the prohibitions against thou shalt not commit adultery. And in the teaching to Israel and these laws that are being retold to the next generation, in Leviticus 18, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. 
After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwelt, shall you not do. And, after the doings of the land of Canaan, where I bring you, shall you not do. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. Child sacrifice was already taking place in the land of Canaan. And that's the why this loving father is telling them, teach this diligently to your kids when you get up in the morning, when you're walking by the way, and when you go to bed at night. We have to be diligent in teaching these things so that this evil does not creep up in our family history. In that same chapter of Leviticus 18, he goes through and he says, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife. And he goes through this whole list. I'm not going to read it. This is a sordid chapter. Incest and wickedness and evil. And in verse 21, and he says, And you shall not let any of your seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shall you profane the name of God. I am the Lord. That is child sacrifice, which you can see in other places. They were sacrificing. The, they had, this mass delusion of humanity was justifying this child murder, saying, well, it's how we worship. They had turned it into a religious ceremony and right. Do you know that it's no different today? Today, the mantra of the new religion is it's my body, my right to choose. That's their only commandment. And child murder. They are sacrificing children just like they were sacrificing children here. The other thing I would have you notice in that chapter that he goes on and says, Defile not yourself in any of these things, for in Things the nations are defined, which I cast out before you. That's why God commanded them to go in there and exterminate them. Because they were beyond saving, generationally wicked and evil. And God gave them the authority to be the magistrate to execute. He goes on and says this in verse 30 of Leviticus 18. Therefore, shall you keep my ordinances, that you commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, that you defile yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. And so what do we see about child sacrifice? It comes out of sexual sin. Right in the middle of the chapter, talking about sexual sin, abortion and child sacrifice comes. It's a murder to try to cover up a crime. Any form of one man, one woman for life is forbidden. And when you go outside of that provision that God gave us for joy and being fruitful and multiplying and for safety of humanity, if you go outside of that, Destroying yourself. 
in Psalms 106.34. And Psalms 106 starts with praise ye the Lord and ends with praise ye the Lord. And in the middle of Psalms 106, it rehearses the sins of Israel. Do you know that Israel failed to keep Deuteronomy 6 and to teach their children? Not all of them did. Many of them did. Because in Psalms 106, it says this about Israel. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served their works which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. Abortion is a spiritual sacrifice to devils. They didn't do what they were supposed to. They mingled among the heathen and learned their works. You are to be separate. You are a called out people into the church of Jesus Christ. We are to be separate from those practices. You know there's many so-called Christian churches today that support child sacrifice. This is a great evil for humanity. And again, it goes back to the seed of the lie that our first parents believed in Satan when he said, you can be God and you can decide what's right and wrong. And today, we decide, well, what's right for me is killing a baby. It would be like if it was the Wild West and everybody was going around and killing everybody. It would be no different than what's taking place here. So back then, in context, we see that child sacrifice arises out of sexual sin. We see also that the failure to be diligent in teaching these things led to Israel to go back and to be mingled with the people of the land. What do we learn from that? We learn that we cannot mingle with the ideas and the thoughts and the practices of this nation with regard to abortion. Today, rather than child murder being the fruit of religion and religious sacrifices, which it really is the same thing, it today is more the fruit of atheism. And atheism is a religion. Whatever your belief system is, is your religion. You take a look at the history of atheist governments. And how many have been murdered under those governments? And Hitler used evolution and Marxism to justify the murder of the Jews. In our society today, it is the new atheist and the evolution religion that is sanctifying abortion. The fruit of that teaching is that, well, you're just an animal. You're just an accident on the world stage. Might makes right. Do you know that the fruit of abortion, the logic of abortion is the same thing as racism? 
And we're making unborn children a lower caste of people like the African Americans were made and we're slaughtering them. It's the same evil and hatred. A dehumanizing of people and making them into a class that can be oppressed and destroyed and cast away. And so America is under this grand delusion just like Hitler's Germany was under a grand delusion. And today it's the goddess of choice and the goddess of feminism. The goddess of reproductive freedom which are worshipped and the children are sacrificed. And so by teaching your children the truth about what the Scriptures say and the history of humanity, sacred history, you can show them the consequences of this. There were a couple of kings in Israel. I don't have time to go to these. Second Chronicles 38, Ahaz was practicing child sacrifice. And so even some of the kings that arose in the two kingdoms went back to this practice. And Jeremiah 19, the prophet, speaking to Israel, said, Hear you the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place. The which, whosoever hears, his ears shall tingle, because they have forsaken me, and have estranged this place, and have burned incense unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocence." They built high places and they burned their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal. And he says, speaking for God, which I commanded nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. You know what the consequence of that was? For them going back to child sacrifice of Israel, they were kicked out of for 70 years. They went to Babylon. But it was, the consequence was awful. Because in verse 9 there in Jeremiah, he says, I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. He turned them over to cannibalism in the siege. Today, to give way to this is a new kind of cannibalism. Because when you commit the sin... As we just read, and this blood cries out from the ground for your unborn children, you are consuming your future genealogy. You are consuming the future of humanity. You are violating your conscience. We read today where many who have had abortions have PTSD. I know personally of someone whose life was destroyed through this. You probably know some too. Because when you take a life, it changes you. Anyone who's been to war and has had to take a life has been changed, forever changed through that experience. 
And God is bringing judgment already on this nation. The God who's in control of all things. Do you think it's any accident the things that we see taking place are storms? We don't just write that up as just a chance storm that blew through Georgia. The consequences of this are unimaginable. Can you be imagine being in the siege in Jerusalem and having an army surrounded here and you got nothing to eat? And God turning you over to cannibalism. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? And we must teach our children that this is a polluting of the very land. The very land is polluted. He says that in Numbers 35. He said, You shall not pollute the land wherein you are, for blood defiles the land and cannot be cleansed of that blood but by the blood of Him that shed it. And so we must teach them. We must raise them. And we must hope in the blood of Christ that can cleanse any sin, including the sin of abortion. So how are we to continue in our generational vision? We are to teach our children. And we do this one family at a time. We teach and live out the gospel message, which is the only message that preaches pardon for the agents of death and power to agents of life. I took that as a quote from a pastor. The gospel preaches pardon for the agents of death and power to the agents of life. At the banquet for life a few years ago, we heard a lady that was the head of Texas Right to Life. And she told of how they were getting into middle schools in the public education system. And already beginning to manipulate those kids and to prepare them to produce what she called a product for the abortion clinic so that they could make money and increase their numbers. And she was born again, and God pardoned her. And it was a great testimony. And so we teach the gospel message. We teach that God only has supreme right over life and death. We teach them that God will be glorified in forgiving those that repent of abortion and that He's willing and able to forgive and to heal that conscience that can be decimated from that act. We're to teach them that life is precious and safe. And we are to support the bridge, which we do. We need to all be ready and go to the banquet. We need to stay connected to the Georgia right to life. And we need to pray. Continue to pray for the end of this. We need to be considering how we continue to be involved. We need to be involved in legislation and writing, senators, house members. And we need to be continuing the proclamation of the gospel. There was a song written uh, a few years ago that was entitled, What Was I Supposed to Be? Jesus walked upon the earth 
on the shores of Galilee, he'd say to his disciples, let the little children come to me. I wonder if up in heaven, do you suppose we'll see little children asking, what was I supposed to be? What was I supposed to be? What were my eyes supposed to see? And why did I taste of death before I even drew a breath? Laid my head on my mother's breast to sleep. Was I to be a prophet used in the ministry? A doctor who would find a cure for some terrible disease? Even if I'd been born imperfect, why couldn't my parents see that I have been made perfect when you came back for me. What was I supposed to be? Well, we have a great, great God who's able to save even murderers like the Apostle Paul and even the chief of sinners like myself. And I'm so grateful that we have hope in Christ Jesus to save us and to preserve us from this historical evil practice that has always been around in humanity. May God deliver us from that.